32GI. Leading sports nutrition provider. Focused on health and performance. 32GI. Trusted sports nutrition advisors. Thanks for joining us once again on 32GI Sports Nutrition. And uh, if you joined us recently, we had a great blog with Mark Wolf. He's been uh, populating his blog with some really fantastic topics. And one of them that I saw, and it's very interesting around the changes we've seen in nutrition and dietary ways that people do consume. And when I say consume, consume less carbohydrates. And one of the interesting things I saw was uh, a fantastic quote, to eat or not to eat. I don't think that's quite what Shakespeare had intended but uh, Mark, to eat or not to eat, it's uh, really got to do with should you eat before you train? Well, I think that it's becoming a very, very popular topic is this intermittent fasting or fasted training. And I'm not the only person that has experimented with it quite extensively. I mean, I deal with a lot of endurance athletes who regularly uh, do intermittent fasting, as well as actually uh, bodybuilders and health fitness fanatics as well. So, I mean, it's, it's across all walks of life that you actually see uh, faster training becoming more and more popular. Now, looking at uh, aspects of training, I mean, generally we're looking at endurance athletes. I know you mentioned weightlifters, but, you know, does this apply across the board, whether you're a swimmer, a runner, a cyclist, or someone who goes to to gym, does it depend on sort of the amount of time you're planning to exercise? I think there's a number of factors that we need to take into account here. And uh, the first thing is is that, uh, and, and I think I should state this up front, is that as human beings, we were actually born to be in a fat metabolic state. In other words, naturally, we actually um, are more suited to burning of fat. The problem is, is with uh, um, nutrition and improper eating and sort of lifestyle changes, a, lot, a big percentage of the human race has actually moved away from the natural fat burn zone in the end. It's actually just burning off sugar, sugar, sugar. So so, so I think it's a matter of saying, like, um, a lot of people say to me, how do you burn off fat? And it's quite simple. It's don't raise your blood sugar significantly. So so that's the first thing that I want to stress. Um, the second thing is, is that fasted training is not such a simple thing because if you are somebody that's already been eating before a training session or you do eat quite a significant amount of drink, a uh, significant amount during a training session, uh, and when I say drink, I mean obviously a carbohydrate drink, um, you've obviously uh, trained certain metabolic pathways in order to be able to produce energy from you know what you're going to consume. And so the body's become very, very used to that. Now, if you suddenly remove that and just try and do a faster training session, you'll probably suffer quite badly because you need to retrain the body and open up these metabolic pathways to to produce energy in a different manner. So I don't think it's as simple as just making a switch overnight. It's something that does take some time and it's baby steps. But, you know, I think the advantages of faster training far outweigh anything else, um, when it comes to uh, sports performance in, in, in the fact that if you're able to harness a larger amount of fat uh, for fuel during exercise, even at higher intensities, and, and let's not forget at a high intensity, you definitely burn off more glycogen than you do fat. But if you're a fat-efficient athlete, and by that I mean you're able to harness a large amount of fat because you've trained those pathways to be able to harness that energy, you can actually spare more glycogen by burning off more fat 
at higher intensity. So it's very advantageous for an endurance athlete to be able to tap into this. And I see it more and more. Um, how how many endurance athletes across the globe, across the board, in actual fact, um, are, are able to tap into um, their fat fuel tank as a source of fuel um, as opposed to just uh, trying to stay glycogen using carbohydrate sources, especially as the distances get longer and longer. Now, Mark, it always comes down to training something when it comes to nutrition and diet. You never try things, of course, in a race environment. But if you decided to go this route and you did this adaptation and it took, how would you then translate that when you race? Do you adopt exactly the same strategy or does this now allow you to introduce a bit of glucose or carbs into your diet while you're racing and that gives you that added benefit? Well, I think that's a, that's a very crucial question because, the, you know, people see me doing faster training a lot and I can go out on a three or four hour ride faster, but it doesn't mean when I'm going to race, I'm not going to take any carbohydrates. In actual fact, I do take carbohydrates when I race. I just, um, I, I just keep my insulin levels, um, you know, pretty low. I don't overload myself with, uh, with carbs when I'm racing. I take the right amount for my particular body weight, for my particular intensity, that I'm performing at, and I drip feed. So I take a consistent amount over a period of time in order to provide me a sort of non-sparking kind of a feed, but over time it really, really does help. From a, it's very, very beneficial um, from an energy stability perspective um, and obviously from, uh, if you want to look at glycogen sparing perspective as well, because I am taking in carbohydrates, I am probably performing at a, at, a, at, a, at a pretty decent effort, but I'm doing some drip feeding in order that I don't raise my blood sugar too significantly. Because I find that the minute you do that, you're actually triggering a pendulum that's going to swing, and it's going to send you on a roller coaster ride, and what goes up needs to come down. And the biggest problem that I see with athletes these days is that they over-consume on the carbohydrates, and they don't match it to the level of intensity that they're performing at. So what actually happens is, you'll get an athlete that might be performing mainly in zone 2 or zone 3. They're taking in a very big amount of carbohydrates. They're raising their blood sugar significantly. And they are not able to actually utilize all that amount of carbohydrates um, during exercise. In actual fact, they're completely mitigating fat burn, and the body all it wants to do is get rid of the glucose at that particular moment in time. And let me tell you, it's a very, very terrible place to be in because I see these athletes, they're suddenly performing at a very, very nice level, and you see their performance performance, and then suddenly they just crash, and then they need a second wind. And the problem is, is that's the roller coaster ride that they're going on, and it's not a very pleasant one. So I advocated for stability as well, but like I said, um, drip feeding, small, correct amounts of carbohydrates um, over a period of time, and, and I think if you do a structured feed, um, that's probably the best way to go. You need to understand how much you need to take in, when you need to take it in, and over what period of time. Now, Mark, we, you know, sports nutrition, a lot of focus there on endurance athletes. But if you were someone who's just exercising with the idea that you want to lose weight, it makes more sense to do it this route, doesn't it? Absolutely. If you want to burn off fat, then you need to burn off fat by mitigating any excessive blood sugar in your body. And that means getting up in the morning, having a green tea or a black coffee, no sugar, um, also maybe no milk, and actually just going and training um, on water, if it's for an hour or two, you absolutely don't need anything. Uh, to buy. Your fuel tanks are completely topped up, and you are in a fast state. You are going to be in a fast-burn state, and take advantage of it. And saying that, some people like to train with a flavored drink, and uh, in that case, uh, you can get zero-calorie 
drinks, and one of them that I use is the 32 GI hydrate, which helps with fluid absorption, and it's got no calories in, so it does not mitigate the fat burn whatsoever. You know, after your session, yeah, you can have a recovery meal. There are some people that might be a little bit lightheaded, but like I say, again, you can't go from zero to hero. You need to start off uh, with baby steps, and I would say start off with sessions that are 60 to 90 minutes and slowly build up over time, and eventually you can become an expert at metabolizing fat as a source of fuel um, for long uh, sessions. And, I mean, in the article I wrote in the blog the other day, I actually mentioned it can get to a state where your body becomes extremely efficient. So, um, I I mean, I generally go on three to four hour sessions, and if you have a look at those long sessions, especially when I do them on a weekend, which are faster training sessions, my last meal the night before might be at about 8 o'clock at night, sometimes maybe a little bit later, um, but um, it's generally a, a sort of a protein snack. Um, and then the next meal the following day could be anywhere around uh, 11, 12 o'clock. So if you, take, if you take that time period, you'll absolutely notice that um, there's about a 16, it can be 14 to 16 hours before my next meal, and I'm still fitting a quality training session in between. So it's not that it's not, Possible, of course it's possible. The most important thing though after the sessions is you have to recover properly because obviously your immune system will be put under a little bit of stress. Um, if you're going to train later on, you might have wanted to fuel during because you can't do a faster training session like that and then do a double session later on. So you need to be able to take that into account as well. And I mean, it even got to the extent that one morning I woke up and I actually rode down the road and I actually forgot that I'd left my water bottle at home and I was going on a 100k ride, but I was too... I was too frustrated and I was too lazy to climb back up the hill to go fetch my water bottle, so I just rode 100 k. Now, I figured if, uh, if I needed to stop en route, I could have had some water, but I decided that it was cool enough, uh, the body wasn't overheating. It doesn't take, it takes many, many hours of suffering before you can actually dehydrate to maybe a life-threatening, uh, uh, getting into a life-threatening state. So, you know, in that case, I rode my 100 k's, I came back home, and then I rehydrated. So, I think the biggest thing when it comes to athletes is that they do not have the confidence to be able to try this out. They are so desperate to take something with them because they fear that they're going to hit the wall or they're going to completely deplete themselves of energy and they're not going to cope. But the human body naturally has got enough fuel in its tank to support a long, hard effort. There's no doubt about that. Well, Mark, we've run out of time for today. You did touch on something very important there, especially if people want to change to running or sort of fasted running, and that comes to recovery. It's always important, no matter what athlete you are, but I think even more so. So we'll look at that on the next edition of 32GI Sports Nutrition. But for Mark Wolf and myself, Mr. Active David Katz, we'll chat to you then. 32GI. Leading sports nutrition provider. Focused on health and performance. 32GI. Trusted sports nutrition advisors.